pray. Jesus, we just want to thank you this morning for going to the cross, for being propitiation, for taking away the wrath for our sins, and for being God, for rising from the dead on Easter Sunday morning. And Lord, that today we might be able to learn about your word as a form of worship. And Lord, we do thank you for your long-suffering, for your forgiveness, and for your mercy for us. We're, we're sinners. And Jesus, uh, we just want to say we love you, God, that your spirit would be with us, bind any evil that might be in the work, in the room that would try to take away from your word. And Father, that we would be honoring to you today in what we say, that you would guard my tongue, and that you would open up the ears of the listeners to your word, Jesus. Every verse has a meaning that we would understand it better today. We love you, God. Amen. So today we're going to look at um, a topic called tests of faith. And many people in the world today, they uh, are looking for true salvation. And this is really speaking to people who think they are Christians or who really are indeed Christians. This is not talking to people who don't believe in God and atheists. This is um, a message for people that want to verify their faith. Because God says in his word, we can have true assurance. And that's really, um, in order to have the peace of God, we need to have true assurance. So today we're going to look at some of the issues that people grapple with. So let's, let's look at the, the, uh, the key text verse for today. It's 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So John really wrote the, the, the first book of John to, to answer questions and to give people an understanding and an assurance that they can truly know that they're saved. That this isn't something that they go to their deathbed with wondering if they're really saved or not. Because in some ways, that's kind of a form of torment, yes? So John says, these things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. That's a very clear statement. So we're going to look at some tests of faith today. The first one that's probably the most important one is, do you have a personal relationship with God, our Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have a personal relationship? Matthew 7, 22 and 23 says, Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. So these are people, they believe they were saved. They're saying to God, Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied and preached in your name and done many miracles in your name? And we even cast out demons in your name. And yet look what Jesus says. He said, I will profess unto them, I never knew you. I think we talked a little bit last week. There's, there's two types of knowledge. God is omniscient. He knows everything. Everything that's happened, everything that's going on in the world today, and everything that will happen. So at any single point in time, God knows everything. But there's another form of knowing, and that's knowing somebody in a personal relationship. And that's what Jesus is speaking to here. And he's saying, depart from me, you that work iniquity, you that transgress the law, you that commit sins, you that are lawless, 
the ones that have lawlessness in them, they will not enter the, into the kingdom. Matthew 7, 25, 11, and 12 says, Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Remember we went over the ten virgins last week. And when you think about it, why would God allow his bride, he's the groom, why would God allow his bride, the bride of Christ, to be somebody he never doesn't even know? We would never consider marrying somebody we didn't know. So why would God be any different? Luke 13, 25 says, When once the master of the house has risen up and has shut the door, and you shall begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. So we see here's the third time in scriptures God is saying, I don't know who you are. And it says, when the master of the house... Jesus is the master of the house. The house in this verse is the heaven. And when God shuts the door to heaven, and we stand, if we're lost and we're standing out, nobody will open up that door. No matter what we say, no matter what plea we have. John 3, 5 to 7 says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. So all of us have had a physical birth. We're born of water. A mama's water broke when we were born. But Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and said, we know you're a master. How can I be, how can I know how to go to heaven? And Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be born of the spirit. So if you're born twice, then you only will die once. You will have a physical death. But if you're only born once of, of the water and not of the spirit, if you don't have a, a, a second birth, then you will die twice. You will die a physical death, and then you will die at the great white throne. For whosoever was, was not written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. So if you're born twice, you only die once. If you're born once, you die twice. 1 John 1, 5, and 6 says, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, we walk in darkness, we lie, and do not the truth. So God is saying he's light, and he doesn't have any darkness. In the spiritual world, darkness is sin. God is perfect. And when we walk into a dark room, if we flick the light switch on, the light overcomes the darkness. That's a picture of Christ. He always overcomes the darkness. But if we're walking in darkness, if we're walking in sin, and we say we still have fellowship with God, this verse says we lie and we do not the truth. Because carnality, darkness, is enmity. It's at, at war with the Holy Spirit. They cannot coexist together. John 10 27 and 28 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Centuries ago, when, when the shepherds would bring their sheep to the watering hole, there might be many shepherds that would bring sheep. So Jonathan, you could bring yours, I would bring mine, Miss Alice, you'd bring yours, and other shepherds would bring theirs. And all of these sheep would get mixed up. 
There was no way you could tell the sheep, one sheep from another sheep. But when that shepherd would walk off into the distance and call his sheep, they would know his voice. And they would separate from all the other sheep. This verse says, my sheep, this is Jesus speaking in John 10. My sheep hear my voice. And do you see this? He says, I know them. So here's a personal relationship. In order to have a, a relationship with somebody, you need to know them. You need to talk to them. And Jesus is saying, here, I know them. The five foolish virgins, he didn't know them. The people that say, Lord, Lord, did we do all of these great miracles? Jesus said, I don't know you. But his sheep, he knows them. The second point we're going to look at today is, do you love your fellow man with God's love, even when they don't deserve it? Because really, that's, that's true love. To love somebody who doesn't deserve love. And Jesus said, you know, we need to turn the other cheek. And he says, um, in Proverbs 17, 9, he that covers a transgression seeks love. But he that repeats the matter separates very friends. So if we have a disagreement with somebody, or let's say a husband and wife are, are they're at odds over some issue. If the person who really loves in that situation comes to them and is in a forgiving attitude and a forgetting attitude toward the other person, that's love that overcomes that transgression. And it's hard to be upset with somebody when they're loving on you. But on the other hand, if you repeat that matter and just dig it in and why did you do this and why did you do that, it says you will even separate very friends. Because people, they don't want that in their life. They'll just go somewhere else. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven to 40 says, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So we have ten commandments. The first four deal with Jesus, with God. And that's really the law. The second half of the Ten Commandments, number 5 through 10, they deal with how we deal with people. So we say all of the law is there, but Jesus is saying in this verse, hang all the law and the prophets. The law is truth. The prophets preaching the Bible, that's grace. It's And, and God says if we... Love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we love our neighbor as ourselves. We're fulfilling all of the commandments. Let's look at the second page. Galatians, this, these are the fruits of the Spirit, chapter 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness, and faith, meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. God doesn't have to make a law to prevent us from loving somebody. The law is to prevent people from doing evil. If somebody murders, there's a law that's against murder. There's a law against stealing. There's a law against drunk driving or speeding. So we have to have laws to prevent people from doing evil. But God doesn't have any laws against doing good. And if we look at these nine fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace... This deals with our relationship with God. Long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness, this deals with our relationship with other fellow people. 
And meekness and faith and temperance, this is, this is how we deal with ourselves. Do we have faith? Do we have temperance and a balance? Are we meek in the way we, we, we deal with people? So the third point we're going to look at today is, do you have an active and consistent prayer life talking with God? Prayer is really talking with God. And in order to establish the relationship, you need to have communication. And one of the tests of faith is, do you consistently pray to God? Matthew 6, 7 says, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen, for they think that they will be heard with much speaking. In many of the religious systems, people repeat, repeat, repeat. And God says he doesn't want to have vain repetitions. When God wa wants to fellowship with us, and when we talk to God, he wants us to tell like, what's on our heart, what's in our head, what's, that, what's weighing down our soul today, and not some vain repetition. Mark eleven twenty four says, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe you shall receive them, and you shall have them. So God is saying, whatever you desire. This, this past week I spoke to my son, Christian. He's the, the one, the missionary over in China. And he said, hey, Dad, last Sunday when I was walking to church with one of my friends, we walked by this abandoned athletic center. And he said, immediately I started to ask God to give me that building so we can start a, a church service there. Now, he's, he's on fire for God, and that's the kind of prayer God wants to answer in his will. John 14, 13 and 14 says, Whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask any in my name, I will do it. So one of the keys to successful prayer is to pray in Jesus' name. Now, we can't pray for things that are not in God's will. You know, I'd like to have a Mercedes-Benz, but it's really probably not in God's will. So when you pray, pray in Jesus' name, but it's for the Father to be glorified. So the things that you're praying, are they going to bring glory to God's kingdom? If we're praying souls into heaven, that brings glory to God's kingdom. If we pray for peace in families, that brings glory to God's kingdom. John 15, 7 and 8 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. So this verse is teaching us that if God's word abides in us, then we're a Christian. Our body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. And it says, you shall ask what you will. See, now as a Christian, you're in God's will. Now, not always, because when we sin, we get out of God's will. But if we confess our sins and God will forgive us, we're back in his will. And if we're asking in God's will, those are the prayers God will, will, will answer. The next point, do you have a strong desire to study the Bible? Which is your spiritual food unto life. Every one of us today probably have eaten something. Why do we eat? We need, our bodies need nourishment. Little kids, you know, babies, they grow like weeds. It seems like every time my daughter brings my granddaughter over, she's going to be seven months. Every, every time, every week, she's grown. And she's doing things different. She's laughing and smiling, and now she's crawling. So, babies need food 
to grow and to sustain life, and, and as we as adults also do. But what about in the spiritual life? Let's look at some of these um, verses that, that tie to this. Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. The best bulwark that we have to fight sin and against the fiery darts of, of Satan is God's word in our mind and in our heart. And there, this verse is saying, I have hid it in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You know, sometimes we have things set aside. Maybe you have some money in your house that's set aside in a time of need. You can draw upon it. Well, in a time of spiritual need, when we have that word of God hidden in our heart, we can draw upon it. Psalm 119.18 says, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of the law. And open mine eyes. God is really talking about spiritually. Are your eyes open spiritually? Remember the story of uh, Gehazi? He was the servant of um, Elijah. And Elijah, was, his servant was afraid because Elijah had, was being called before the government. And he thought they were going to die. And Elijah says, God, just open his eyes. And let him see that we're really protected. And God opened his Elisha's servant's eyes and he saw all of the angels. And he goes, okay, it's under control. And, and he could see into the spiritual realm. Now, all of us, we can see into the spiritual realm, but it's through God's word. Are you looking at God's word in the spiritual realm? And all that God wants us to know about in the spiritual realm is what his word says. He doesn't want us going and chasing after Ouija boards and astrology and all of those things that God hates. He wants us to talk to his Holy Spirit and God will take care of whatever the issue is in the spirit world. But the spirit world is real and God wants us to go to his Holy Spirit to protect us there. John 6.51 says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I give you is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. A lot of his disciples, they got upset when he said this. And some of the disciples left. And he's saying, I will give, as, the, the bread that I give is my flesh. The flesh that he gave us was on the cross. Our rebirth when we're born again, when we're born of the spirit, that's in the spirit world. And now, do you see how, as, a, as a, a Christian, we can discern what he's saying? He's not saying we're going to eat him physically of his body. He's saying we can draw on that manna of life, the word of life. Drink of that water and you'll never thirst again. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We were talking about this verse this morning with the boys at Sunday school. And I said, let's say your job was to replace this wall here and all of these bricks that you piled up. And at the end of the day, the wall was all curvy and messed up. Would you be satisfied with what you had done? And they all said, no, 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 no. We wouldn't. I mean, who would be with that kind of an output, right? Well, God is saying here, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. Are we handling the word of God properly? Are we Bereans? Are we diligent about studying it? 
Study to show yourself approved unto God. You don't want to be a workman who's going to be ashamed. 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16 says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. This is Paul talking to Timothy. And he was raised, similar to, I'm sure, Jonathan, your parents raised you in the scriptures and putting you to sleep every night with a, with a scriptural song. From a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. How? Through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Right there is the gospel message. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. If you want to be right before God, if you want to have a holy path before God, study the word of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. Okay, the next point we're going to look at. You have a revulsion of sin and a desire to live a clean and righteous life before God. One of my favorite preachers is a, is a pastor called, named Paul Washer. And Paul was raised in southern Illinois, and his dad was a pig farmer. And so he knows a lot about pigs and having to feed pigs. And he said, give the, he gave the example of somebody who's not saved. And they're kind of like that pig, because you can take a pig... I've never fed a pig, but this is Paul speaking. He says, you can take that bucket of slop and put it down there, and those pigs will devour that slop. Now, in the spirit world, that slop represents sin. When you become saved, you're a new creature in Christ. All the old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Now, as a person, as a human being, if somebody poured that pig slop on your plate... You wouldn't want to eat it. In fact, it would probably make you sick. As a new creature in Christ, we should have that same kind of revulsion to sin. John 3, 19 and 21 says, And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth the truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. So this verse is saying, we're already condemned before we're saved. And the condemnation is that light came into the world. Jesus is the light. He came into the world. And it says men love darkness rather than light. You know, darkness covers a lot of sins. And in fact... Um, Jonathan, it, it, AJ is actually coming to my house for dinner with my family. So, guess what I did for the last two days? I was cleaning my house. Because I don't want to have any dirt in my house when all these people are coming to my house. And I didn't do it at midnight. I did it when the sun was shining in the windows and I can see all the specks of dirt. Well, that's what this verse is saying. For he that doeth evil hates the light. If I wanted a dirty house, I would clean my house at midnight with the light off. It would, it would remain dirty. But it says, he that doeth the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be manifest. Manifest means they become apparent at the judgment seat. If you want to clean your heart of, physical, of, of spiritual dirt, then you need to come to the light. And, and it says, 
your deeds will be made manifest that they are wrought in God, that they are bound in the Holy Spirit, like wrought iron. They're fast, they're firm, they're assured. Okay, let's look at the next verse. Romans 12, 9. Let love with, be without dissimulation. Dissimulation means hypocrisy. Let your love be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. Abhor means hate. Hate that which is evil. And cleave to that which is good. Now, cleave can have two meanings. Like you can take a meat cleaver and cleave chicken in half, right? But cleave also means you become bound. Like a man and a woman become married and they, they become one flesh. They've cleaved together. It's almost like you take an egg and you break it in the, in the pan and the yolk and the, and the white, they, they fry together and there's no way you can separate them apart. They've cleaved together. And that's what God is saying here. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Make that goodness of God part of your being. It just permeates your nature and your soul. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven to 40 says, Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord like... Oh, I said that one already. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 and 8. For God hath call, not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despises, despises not man, but God, who has also given unto us his Holy Spirit. You know, this is a very interesting uh, passage because what it's talking about is fornication. And fornication is any kind of sex outside of marriage. And God is saying in this passage, if a man steals the virginity of a woman that should be given to her husband, that that revenge will be from God. And look what this verse says. For God has not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He, therefore, that despises. You know what it means to despise? That means to disrespect somebody. When people do that, they're disrespecting God. He says, he that despises, despises not man, but God. Oh, that's a serious position to be in when you despise God, who has also given unto us his Holy Spirit. So especially for a Christian, we understand we have his Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Okay, the next point. Do you courageously share the good news gospel with people you know? Are you a missionary by nature? <laughs> Do you have an enjoyment of sharing the good news with people that you meet, that you know, that are acquaintances? Matthew 10, 20, 32 to 33 says, Whosoever there shall confess me before men, him will I confess also be before my Father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. We should always be proud of God. He's God. And, and we should never have a fear of sharing our gospel. It's like, Jonathan, you were saying that that, that missionary died. And, and you made the point that sometimes in our life, we're ashamed to share the gospel. But God says, if you're, we're, whoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before the Father in heaven. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. The Jew is one group, Gentiles is everybody else. The power of God is the gospel. And anybody can be saved. And that's why we should have a desire to share. It's the power of God unto salvation. If we want to see our loved ones saved, we need to somehow communicate the gospel. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
Romans 10, 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will somebody call if they don't know about God? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Everybody in this room is a preacher. When you share the gospel, you're preaching the good news. And God says, how will they learn about the gospel unless there's a preacher? Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. We need to share the word of God. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That is the gospel. We need to share that with people. He died because we're all sins. He was buried. That's a form of covering our sins. And he rose from the dead. Only God can rise himself from the dead. Buddha's still in the grave. Muhammad's still in the grave. All the popes are still in the grave. Jesus rose from the dead. All right, the next, next point. Do you enjoy fellowship with other Christians and frequently go to church? There are some people, you see them on the news sometimes. If somebody were to just start speaking the word of Christ, like, like in abortion centers and so on, these people literally become almost demonic in their anger. Why? It's not the person speaking, it's the words that are being spoken. The words, the words that are truth, they don't want to hear the truth. Psalm 55, 14 says, We took sweet counsel together and walked in the house of God in company. It's sweet counsel when two or three are gathered together. I was talking to some men at the Green Rock Jail on Friday night, and, and sometimes when they have lockdowns, they can't have their services. So they had a lockdown, and what they did is they went into the courtyard, and there were two guys that started to pray. And then a couple more joined them. And he said by the time they were finished with their prayer group, they had 15 men praying together. So wherever two or three are gathered, the Lord is there. Right here, God is in our midst. And he said, they took, we took sweet counsel together. Can you think of a sweeter time that you could possibly have than meeting with God? Isn't that the sweetest time we could ever have? 1 John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship one with another. If we're walking with Jesus, we have fellowship with God. And that's, that's a really joyous experience to have. Colossians 3.16, let the word of God dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I left my wallet in the car, but I don't have a whole lot of money in there. There's probably like 25 bucks, right? <laughs> now, if I were to say to you, I have $25, am I rich? None of you would say, yeah, Jim, you're rich. You would, they would kind of chuckle and say, yeah, you're really rich, right? But now Bill Gates, he's rich. He's a multi-billionaire. That's rich. Look what God says in this verse. He says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Is God dwelling in you like a $20 bill? Or is he dwelling in you like a billion dollars? Don't you want to have God in you richly? Let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom. 
His word is wisdom. Do you want God's wisdom? You, you have to have his word in you, and it has to dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another. There's a time when we teach kids, and there's a time when we admonish kids. And the same way with our fellow Christians. We have to do it in the right spirit and with grace on our tongue. But all of us need instruction and admonishment at some time in our life. Let's look at the last page. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, so much the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, so it says, let us consider one another to provoke. Provoke almost means to, like, spur somebody on, to encourage them in a very strong, hearty manner. And it says, provoke to good works. We should always be looking to do something good. And sometimes it's just saying a prayer. If there's a difficult situation, like maybe you see somebody angry driving a car, pray that there's a, a, a hedge of protection around that anger. And it says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. One of the reasons I love to come here on Sundays is we're assembling together. God says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And then he goes, as you see the day approaching. So much more as you see the day approaching. You know, there's two ways you can look at that day approaching. One is when Christ comes back. That day is fast approaching. He's been gone two days already. He's about ready to return. But all of us are going to die. That day is fast approaching. Okay? It's appointed on each one of us to, to die. And then after that's the judgment. So we need to consider that day is fast approaching. Okay, so let's look at the next point. Do you sense real joy in your soul when you spend time alone with God? That should be the most joyous part of your day. When you're spending time alone with your creator, with your God, with your maker, with your redeemer, with your propitiation, with the lover of your soul. Psalm 32.11 says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. David wrote this psalm because Psalm 51 was where, where he confessed. And this is where he's saying, Blessed is the man in who, into whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile, whose transgressions are forgiven. They're under the blood. So he was praising God and saying, Thank you for your forgiveness. And, and he's saying here, in this last verse of Psalm 32, be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Are you glad in the Lord? Are you rejoicing? He says, shout for joy. Sometimes we need to just make a joyous noise, a happy noise before the Lord. And because you're upright in heart. In God's, in God's view of you now, when you're saved, you have an upright heart. You're right before him. Your sins are covered. Your sins are washed away under the blood. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. You know, that, that was the, the first thing I thought of when Christian told me this week that he's asking God to give him that building. You know, God will give him the desires of his heart because that's a desire God put in his heart, and that's a, a desire... To, to bring glory to God's kingdom. Maybe it's not going to be that building, but
But he will be have a building where he's going to be preaching in in a not too distant future. John 10, 11, 10 and 11 says, If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I written unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. I was listening to a sermon by John uh, MacArthur when I was driving here. And, the, you know, at the end of his messages, one of the guys always asks him a question. And the question he asks is, John, why do people doubt their salvations? And John had one word. He said, sin. You know, when we sin, that opens the door to doubt. And then Satan can put those fiery arrows of doubt in our mind and our heart. God says, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Do you think you're ever going to have a better feeling, a more joyous feeling, a more satisfied feeling, a more assured feeling than being in God's love? He says, if you keep my commandments, you're in his love. You abide, you live there. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So, the things on earth that people really cherish, food and drink and parties and fast cars and big houses, that's not God's kingdom. He says, righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, that's the kingdom of God. Okay, so let's look at a couple of concluding thoughts today. What we've looked at is, these are tests of faith, and what prompted me to write this was um, my, my two youngest boys, Josiah and Justice, when they were in elementary school, they went to LCA, and every Monday they would get a spelling test, like 20 words. And then on Friday they would get a test, and then the following Monday they got the results. So if they got 20 out of 20, they got 100. Hey, they passed. No question. If they got 14 out of 20, that would be 70%. They're borderline. They almost failed. But if they only got 6 right out of 20, they got a 30. They failed. Okay, so are you kind of like a 100% Christian, a 70% Christian, or a 30% Christian? Because none of us can grade each other. I can't grade you, Miss Alice, if you're saved. You have to do that yourself between you and God. Same thing with you, Jonathan. You can't grade me if I'm saved. I have to do that between God and me. So let's look at Matthew 7, 13 and 14. He says, enter you in at the straight gate. Straight means narrow. Enter you in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be that go in thereat. Because straight, narrow is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads to life, and few there be that find it. The broad way to destruction, you don't have to do anything to go to hell. Just keep doing what you're doing in sin, and you'll end up there. But the narrow way has only one entry point, and that entry point is a very narrow gate. And Jesus is that gate. He's the way, the truth, and the life to get into heaven. And as we talked about last week, it's very narrow. If you want to get through, you can't have your backpack of sins with you. And not only that, once you get through the gate, you have to stay on the narrow way. Right? That's, that's what this verse says. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way, which leads to life. And few there be that find it. 
there's going to be, from this verse, it seems to indicate more people in hell than in heaven. Because broad is the way to destruction, and narrow is the way to life. Matthew 7.21 says, Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But how do you get into heaven? But he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now, I'm not saying, I want to be very clear. You don't get to heaven by works. You do not. You do not get to heaven by works. You get to heaven by faith. Jesus already did all the work on the cross. However, your testimony will be, are you keeping God's will? Are you doing, if you love me, keep my commandments. So there's a lot of people that think they're going to heaven, and they're not. And there's, there's some people that think they're not going to heaven that are, that they doubt their salvation. Because back on this side, where the people think they're going and they're not, they may have tasted of the word of life. And they may have been on the path for a while, but they became apostate. They never truly were saved. You can't lose your salvation. If you're truly saved, you will stay on that narrow path. And once you're on that narrow path, if you're truly saved, God will make that path more narrow and more narrow as he purges the sin out of your life. And pretty soon you're just walking, okay, God, what do you want me to do? But when you're a babe in Christ, a new Christian, that's when God has a lot of work to do in your life. But if God is not working in your life, you really have to do a double check. Am I saved? Because once you're a child of God, I remember another preacher, he was saying he had these white pants. And his mom says, don't you make those, those are your church pants, don't you make those muddy. Well, a couple of his friends came over, there was a fishing pond, and they said, hey, let's go, let's go fish. So he went fishing with his white Sunday pants on. And he said, of course he fell in the pond. And he was a total mess. His white pants were nasty looking, dirty, black. So he's walking home, and he's commiserating with his friends. And his mom sees him in the distance, and she comes walking out, and she's like a mama bear, angry. And she comes up to him, and he goes, well, why don't you yell at the other kids? They were with me when I fell in the pond. And she goes, they're not my child. And she took him away. She wasn't going to deal with them. Now, the same way with God. If you're not a child of God, go ahead and sin. He's not going to deal with you. But if you're a child of God and your pants are dirty, he's going to make sure he grabs you to correct you and get those pants clean. Get those sins out of your life. Okay, Luke 13, 23 to 24 says, Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? That's a good question, isn't it? Are there few that be saved that go to heaven? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in, there it is again, that narrow gate. For many, I say, unto you will seek to enter and shall not be able. Many will try to be saved by going their way, and when they get to the straight gate, God's not going to say, no, you can't come in your way. There's only one way, and that's my way. And you need to come in my way, or you can't come into heaven at all. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, here we go. This is what I want to make very clear. It's not on us, it's on God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, and not of works, lest any one of us in this room should start boasting. Oh, look what I did. Look at how much money I gave. Look at how many years I served. 
I was a pastor. I was a, a deacon, whatever. I went on the missions field. God says, no, no. That's not how you get into heaven. It's by faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. James 2.26 says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So there's a lot of people that say, I'm a Christian, and you look at their fruit, and you can't tell it. There's nothing in their life that indicates they're a Christian. James says, I will show you my faith by my works. Not the works to, to save him, but the works that because he loves God so much, you look at his life, and his works evidence his love and his Christianity. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Many people's hearts are telling them they're going to heaven. And God says, you better watch out and don't listen to your heart. It's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Did you ever think about how desperation somebody can be? A desperation is like when you're at the last thing, the last straw you can draw on. And your heart is that desperate. And it's that wicked. Don't believe your heart. Believe the Holy Spirit. Talk to God. If you don't know you're saved, he wants to save you today. Today is the salvation day of salvation. If you have a doubt, talk to him. And we're going to finish with this last verse. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves. I can't examine you, Jonathan. Miss Alice, you can't examine me. None of us in this room can examine each other. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves? Do you know yourself? Do you know what you did yesterday? Do you know what you're thinking today? Well, prove your salvation. Only you can do that. Examine yourself. And it says how that Jesus Christ is in you. You've got to prove that Jesus to yourself that Jesus Christ is in you or you will be a reprobate. A reprobate is a heathen. A reprobate is an unbeliever. A reprobate is going to hell. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. And that's, that's kind of like one of those verses that gets you. Because God's not pulling punches. He's telling you exactly like it is. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, we just love your word. It's, it's so full of truth. And it's, it's quick and it, it just cuts to the core of who we are in our soul and our being and our mind and our heart. And Jesus, my prayer is if somebody in this room who was reading these verses or, or um, was listening to your word today, if they are not saved, that today would be their day of salvation. And for us in the room who are saved, Lord, there's so much truth in these few scriptures we went over. And Lord, that even today is our missions conference Sunday at our church, that we would have a heart for missions and we would be more missions-minded as we go into the world this week. Lord, that you would give every one of us in this room at least one opportunity to share your gospel message this week. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your son dying on the cross for our sins, that your Holy Spirit is here. We love you, God. Amen.